What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 75. We are just 25 episodes away now from episode 100, which is kind of crazy, but we are back here on Friday, November 18th, recording this right around 4 p.m. Pacific time. I am joined by Brevin Honda, as always, and today we have yet another special guest, Juan Daniel Avila, ESPN Next. He's a production assistant for ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut, and we all work together at the Daily Aztec at San Diego State, and it's good to be back talking with you here, Danny. I know we've had you on uh, the show here once, but uh, good to have you back. Yes, sir. How you guys doing? Thank you guys for the invite again. Always, always appreciate it. Always, uh, you know, showing some love as uh, all former uh, Daily Aztec um, writers here. It's nice to be back with you guys, even uh, for a split second, just talk about how things are going as we were all, uh, as we mentioned beginning of this. We're always busy. We're always uh, talking about work usually, but uh, I love talking about sports always. Absolutely. Yeah, you've been putting in a lot of work at ESPN. You're obviously working in Bristol now. What's it kind of been like adjusting to that lifestyle and also living on the East Coast, which I'm sure is definitely a, it's been an experience. Oh, man. I think the best, the, the first thing to say is probably that I miss the West Coast. East mm-hmm. Coast is so different. It's so cold right now, man. Like I remember <laughs> around this time, I could be chilling with some shorts and a shirt, uh, maybe a hoodie in San Diego, but that that's very unlikely with my rooftop off. And over here, I have to have my uh, heater full blast everywhere I go. I'm still really cold. I think right now it's like 30, 32 or something like that. It snowed for the first time this season on Tuesday. So oh, like, I, I'm I'm sure as, as uh, Cali boys, we're not used to this at all. And so I'm adjusting. I'm adjusting. Uh, the good thing is that I adjusted to the three-hour time change. That's, yeah. That was a difficult part. But, uh, you know, that's been past me now. It's the weather. It's, it's going to be adjusting to the weather, to the snow, the coldness. So I'm getting my jackets ready. And all that, but uh, I mean, we I did this for a sacrifice, and that was ESPN, man. Uh, Absolutely, that that was a big sacrifice. I knew coming here was the right move for me. Coming out of college, like I think I've I've told you, uh, KB, um, is I wasn't expecting this call. You know, Uh luck played my part. Uh, I I did my part in trying to uh, trying to do my best to get through this interview, and you know, we're here now full time. As like you mentioned, production assistant, uh, a role I didn't see myself uh, being at first. But now that I explored it, I love it. And, you know, it's just opportunities uh, to keep growing, definitely. And I mean, we could keep talking about it and there's so much to talk about, uh, but there's definitely a lot of things to explore. And I'm glad, uh, you know, coming from San Diego State and Daily Aztec, uh, I'm glad I could open up that path for more people as well. Yeah, that's really where journalism starts is writing. And obviously, we both, you know, me and Brevin, we were both able to see how talented you were in the writing aspect of journalism. Like you said, um, production assistant isn't where you expected to be, but where you ended up. And of course, writing is still a core part of that. And I always see you different, doing all different sorts of things for ESPN. But what has kind of been your favorite part, I guess, about your position to this point? Yeah, that that's crazy how you said, you know, um, doing all things, all types of things. Uh, and I think that all started in the Daily Aztec is being uh, versatile yeah. and being able to do not just writing, but being on camera, producing, mm-hmm. 
behind behind camera and doing all all the the behind the scenes things and uh so that's definitely been a, a big part of now transitioning into that uh being off camera mostly and seeing how my work could be on camera and right so uh i think one of the funnest things is that uh sometimes we'll do like little 20 second clips as an intern i remember doing a lot of 20 second vo's and I'm sure you guys are familiar with VOs now, people mm-hmm. that are in the journalism world. So even those 20 second VOs that I had to do as an intern, I had like eight to do during the day. Those 20 seconds is where I would put my whole storytelling uh, behind me. Everything I've learned, everything uh, I've known until this uh, this time in my career, I put them in those 20 seconds. And I think that's what helped me stand out. And then to see even those 20 seconds go appear on SportsCenter Global or ESPN Plus for the ESPN FC show. Uh, just even those 20 seconds with, with my name in, in the mm-hmm. back, I think, uh, can't get better than that, man. It, it really can't seeing your work on, on the big screens like that. Like I said, I, I was still shocked that I got those calls and now I'm making the mess, the most out of it with the, with that. This is a good example. Those 20 seconds uh, that I get um, to be on air with the, my work. It means a lot. Danny, are you part of what? Um, I know there's a lot of shows with ESPN. Uh, which, what show or shows are you uh, working with right now? Yeah, good question right there, uh, Brevin. Um, I'm actually – so the, the ESPN Next program overall, um, mm-hmm. it's they put you in different uh, sectors in the company uh, mm-hmm. in production-wise. So the, I got placed in college basketball, uh, which mm. means I could closely – not closely see, but I'll be able to touch some stuff San Diego State if I already haven't. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a cool start about it. Um, it. It's the event side of things. So I get to work with the game in, game out, um, week by week basis. Mm-hmm. I get assigned a game, and uh, I get to put some some of my work in, in those games. Uh, you know, there's big – the big uh, 12 – Big Ten, and uh, I've actually been doing uh, three games of the ACC now. Oh, nice. So, uh, I've been uh, doing that. And, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of ACC coming from Mountain West Conference. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I get to explore that now. You know, I get to grow and I get to learn uh, teams that I've never heard before, players that I never heard before. Then now that uh, I get to see uh, from that standpoint of view and, uh, you know, when the uh, NCAA championship comes around. I know what teams are dangerous to look at when they're yeah. talking about San Diego. And mm-hmm. just hearing San Diego's name overall in those talks at ESPN actually uh, makes me motivated to you know continue working. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm in the college um, college basketball right now, both women's and men's. Uh, nice. Have you adjusted to watching watching West Coast games at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night yet? <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I, I haven't <laughs> as well. Uh, no, yeah, I haven't been able to do that. Obviously, it, it's nice to see the soccer games because over here, oh, yeah. it was early for me, 5 a.m., whatever, 8 a.m. In the West Coast, it's like 11 or, or 2 p.m. over here. Yeah. You get to see Barca play almost every weekend at 2 or 3 in the day. So that's mm. very, very nice. So I've adjusted to that, but not West Coast games, man. It's It takes me a toll after a long day of work. And then uh, that I see that, you know, Lakers play at 11 or 10 over here. I can't. I, it's hard to stay up. There's been times literally that I just turn on my TV and I'm like, all right, let's watch the first quarter. I'm done by the end of second quarter 
quarter, I'm passed out. My <laughs> or whatever I have on is set to turn on. Yeah. Because right? I, I legit pass out. It's 12 past uh, midnight over here. And, you know, I can't keep up. But uh, that's another struggle, definitely, to uh, to keep up live games. Obviously, I could watch them the next day. But we all know that's not the same uh, thrill as doing it in live time. All right, we're going to get into a lot of sports here with Danny. We're going to talk some World Cup soccer as well. We're going to talk some MLB, some news surrounding the Padres, news surrounding the Angels, both their two MVP candidates. We're going to, like I mentioned, talk some World Cup soccer with Danny. We're going to get to some NFL as well. So I'll let Kyle take it away with the Fast Five. Yeah, and Danny, I know you're definitely going to be able to touch on this first point. And that is Talk TV's Pierce Morgan. He dropped that 90-minute interview with Man United forward Cristiano Ronaldo this week, kind of detailed his struggles that Ronaldo has had in Manchester, you know, being there for the past almost year and a half now. Um, Ronaldo said that he is betrayed. He, he's felt betrayed by the club. He blasted the club ownership, which I think, Danny, we can agree that's pretty valid with the Glazer family. But um, he, he also touched on his disrespect uh, towards manager Eric Ten Hag. He's disappointed in how the club has functioned since his previous departure back in 2009. And he went into a lot more other than that, but um, a bombshell interview with a lot of information. And this interview also was released days before the start of the world cup and also over a month until the winter transfer window opens. So Danny, I'll ask you this first, what was your kind of initial reaction to this interview? Are you surprised by it or is it something that you kind of saw coming? Uh, I, I mean, I think this is just Ronaldo trying to defend himself. Uh, right. It sounds like I, I just finished the whole hour plus interview or whatever, uh, literally like two two hours ago too, because mm-hmm. uh, I I thought it, it's the talk of the of the town right now. So I definitely had to hop on there. So some very interesting th- uh, things, definitely. Uh, some of the things I paid attention to mostly was the Man United stuff. As Man United fans, me and you, Kyle, we know that's the first thing I had to tap in. And then obviously the the World Cup uh, talk that he had about Messi and him being an ideal scenario in the final. Mm-hmm. Crazy final to think about. But that that's that's one of his dreams that he said he, he wished he, he could complete by this year. But no, yeah, um, I think, like I said, he wanted to defend himself um, from my point of view. And uh, he had this platform. And I think one of the things they talked about early in the interview is that, you know, his his face, his uh, presence gets views. And so I think that was the best thing for him, at least, is to say, you know, I'm going to come here on the show and I'm going to say what I have to say. and uh, People are going to hear. And by now, obviously, it's spread on social media. Some things that he said about the players some things he said about his, his colleagues and, you know, pointing out Rooney and uh, Gary Neville and all the, and all the people that he said, criticize him. And, you know, he said his side of the story. So it's really interesting, but as I'm sure if you, if you heard it and people that have heard it, he did mention that, you know, he might be exiting Manchester United after this, uh, this world cup. That's what it seems like. Mm -hmm. That's what it's looking like. And I'm sure you guys seen the video of, uh, Man United taking off uh, his mural or whatever on the on stadium. So, um, man, it's a critical times. But he did say he's very focused on the World Cup, which I think I, I would do the same thing in his positions. The last World Cup, I think the last thing he wants to worry about is his uh, his club. And as he did mm-hmm. say, um, the club isn't what he expected 
to come back to after 10 years or whatnot of him being alone. He, he, he was expecting the club to be at a different level, but it also goes to show uh, how far the club has gone without Alex Ferguson, which is, has, hasn't came back to the top team that they've been. I mean, look, we're, we're going to Europa league. That I think that's yeah. a lot. We should be in champions league, you know? And mm-hmm. he, he goes out, points out towards the end of the interview that he sees Arsenal, you know, winning the premier league team, uh, yeah. premier league uh, over Man U. So, um, some, some, a lot of interesting things. He's like I said, that he mentioned in there, but um, I don't know what you got out of it from from that little hour interview that he uh, gave out to the world. Yeah, I, I think you know you pretty much said it perfectly, and it's tough for us, uh, Man United fans, Danny, because we we've been suffering for a while, and it kind of all continues. And you know that excitement that we got when Ronaldo first signed with the team, you just expected it to go a lot differently than it has so far, and like I said, I, I think you said it perfectly. He really just gave his side of the story, which I feel was important, but um, not only just for his sake, but I think also for the sake of the club, you know, with the club not really progressing since, like you said, Sir Alex Ferguson leaving, that's really what it comes down to. And I think a lot needs to change to get to that point. And that includes bringing in more talent in order to get them back to that Champions League level, like you touched on. So, that was definitely a big story this week, uh, if not the biggest in all of sports. So we're going to see what happens with that and how he performs in the World Cup. But let's move on here to some more World Cup news as well. And that is French rising star Christopher Nkunku. He suffered a sprain left knee in training. He is not going to play in the World Cup. Oh, no. And that pretty much adds to the list of injured players at least. For France, that includes Paul Pogba, who we're both familiar with, uh, Danny, as well as Angola Conte, but also other mm-hmm. players who won't be able to play due to injury. Timo Werner, Diogo Jota, Reese James, uh, Jesus Corona, just to name a few more. But um, it's a crazy story, Danny, because the World Cup, which is usually held in summer, you wouldn't, we wouldn't really be facing these problems if it was during the normal time of year. But, of course, it's as in Qatar. They have it in November, and you see all these players go down. Um, how does that kind of affect the World Cup, I guess, to this point so far, you know, with club action happening for these first couple months of the new season? No, definitely. It, it's a factor now, you know? Yeah. Uh, for example, for us, at least for El Tri Mexico, we don't have Tecatito Corona, and he was a, a mm-hmm. game changer. You put him in, and he, mm-hmm. he's one of the only players that could switch up the game like that because of his uh, his footwork. And a lot, of, a lot of people are missing out, too, you know? Maybe it's not a player like Tecatito, but maybe it's a goalkeeper or a defender that he can't it's they're going to they can't be replaced you know Varan is another one right there you know mm-hmm. on that obviously Pogba you can't replace Pogba he's he's one of one, one of a kind player so uh definitely those players that are coming in for uh the substitution are the ones that now have to maybe they weren't that uh that called upon but now they have to switch that mindset and say hey this is my time to shine which it is but at the same time uh, you can't compare, like I said, a Tecatito for us. Uh, they replaced him with Funes Mori, which every, it's been controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why why go with this player where you could have gone with that? So it's always going to be a controversy uh, seeing the replacements of those players. 
but it's definitely going to change the way a, a team uh, itself uh, prepares for a game. You know, if you don't have someone that was six five in the back, uh, now you have to defend with someone that's six feet. It's going to change the, the the tactics of the mm-hmm. game. So definitely going to be a factor, and only time will tell. You know, but on the plus side, um, teams are still stacked. You know, look at France. Yeah. France still had um, multiple people to be called up. Um, it, there, there be uh, I'll put in a Mexico's um, situation again. They didn't have that that much options. It's either two two players that they had, and they kept them out as well. But they didn't have that that luxury of saying, "Oh man, we have other two top players like uh, Brazil that is fully stacked as well." They don't have those options. So for those smaller mm-hmm. teams, smaller nations that don't have a lot of players in Europe, that's going to really affect them. Uh, definitely, they don't have that much weapons. So um, it's a hit or miss. Like I said, time will tell. Um, I don't know who, who, which player you're you're going to be missing most in the World Cup, but for me, definitely it's going to be Tecatito and some of the players mm-hmm. that didn't even get called up, like Linus and Santiago Jimenez. But um, I yeah. know there was there was multiple uh, players to name there. Uh, Sane was probably the, the the hardest to tell right now because I mm-hmm. thought Senegal could have gone way far with him there but yeah now with this news coming out that he he got injured against his uh the bundesliga game he had last tuesday um that's gonna bring the morale the team down the star player the the king um yeah so that that's a good example senegal senegal is, a, is another example your top player going down what are you gonna do now you, you know yeah i was gonna i was gonna bring Sadio Mane up man it's that's probably the biggest loss for any country, I, I think, in this tournament, for sure. No I'm doubt about it. it. But, um, yeah, it's definitely changed the dynamic to how these teams have uh, been able to prepare and will continue to prepare for their first game. So definitely something to watch as well. All right, let's move on to number three. This is not FIFA. This is FIBA. So uh, Spain has now overtaken the USA for the number one spot in the FIBA men's basketball ratings. So that ranking system changed in 2017. It takes results from the previous eight years into account. And Spain, they have the most recent FIBA World Cup title, and they also won the 2022 Eurobasket. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy to not see USA be number one on these FIBA ratings, but um, Spain with the Hernan Gomez brothers and uh, Ricky Rubio as well. Obviously, we know how impactful the Gasol brothers have been as well, but it's pretty crazy to see him overtake the USA in those ratings. Yeah, it's going to be a big, I think this is, it's going to put a big fire on Team USA come the Olympics, come around, mm-hmm. you know, as we see that. Um, with this US, US team, you know, lots going to be, changes going to be made since the last time um, US played in the Olympics. So uh, this is just adding more fuel to that fire for Team USA. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we're going to stay here with basketball on that theme. And that was on Monday, the LA Times unveiled the top 75 Lakers players to celebrate the franchise's 75th season. So the top 10 are Magic Johnson, Kobe, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Shaq, LeBron and George Mikan, James Worthy, and Wilt Chamberlain. So... Uh, I think Danny, you know, speaking from our perspective, we would definitely have Kobe a number one on our personal list. But definitely. is is it kind of surprising to hear LeBron 
voted a top 10 Lakers player of all time, considering he's only been there for just a few seasons. Obviously, he has a championship. But is it surprising to you? Surprising? Um, maybe not, because now every, everyone's talking about him, you know? He, mm-hmm. People are, are making com- comparisons to Kobe, to Jordan. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's the argument for the new generation, you know, and obviously the right. older generation will always say Jordan or Kobe, you know, but um, even even that you have those people in the middle that are saying LeBron's going to be remembered as the greatest. So uh, it's a it's a very interesting uh, topic still to to say. And I mean, he's still playing. So there's there's still a lot to be uh, talked and a lot of arguments to be made. But um Surprising, I don't say not not too much, but uh, it's uh, you know now he's up there, he's up there with the mm-hmm. big names, and I think he's going to continue doing that as uh, his career unfolds. Uh, what do you think, bro? Yeah, I was kind of surprised seeing LeBron there at seven. As you look down a little bit lower down the list, you see Anthony Davis at eighteen. It's <laughs> I was just like knowing that they've only won one ring with the Lakers. You know, yeah. I thought they would have been a little bit lower. Right. I mean, maybe LeBron closer to 10 than at 7. You know, you see someone like uh, Derek Fisher, two spots lower than Anthony Davis, for example. Derek Fisher won, mm. was it five rings with the team? Five? Yes, I think yeah. so. Uh-huh. And so you still see the impact that these different players have had. So it's kind of, I thought it was a little bit of a little recency bias to put exactly. um, LeBron and Anthony Davis both where they were at. Yeah, I was, I was, took the words right out of my mouth, Brevin. I, mm-hmm. I think it is that factor of recency bias and mm-hmm. just see, seeing them on that list, you know, a little bit higher. Like they are definitely deserving to be on that list, but it's an interesting topic and it, it kind of makes you think about, you know, who, who voted on this list and, and why did they choose what they chose? But any, any rankings list, you're going to have that conversation. So, yep. um, that is the top 75 list for the Lakers. We went over the top 10, as I mentioned and. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting topic to kind of go through. You can view that on the LA Times website if you're interested to see a little bit more. But let's move on now to MLB spring training. We're going to stick with the theme of MLB after this, but this is our last point of the Fast Five. For two days during MLB spring training, that is March 8th and 9th, teams will host and play national teams that are playing in the World Baseball Classic before pool play begins on March 11th in both Arizona and Florida. Uh, Brevin, how cool is this uh, for these MLB teams and even these national teams to participate in these games? Yeah, I think it just completely just makes sense with it. You know, these MLB teams, they're all these players, they're just prepping to get ready for the season. And you think about these national teams that are with their pool play being in both Arizona and Florida, it just makes a lot of sense because it shows that both sides are, both the national teams as well as the major league teams there, they're just getting ready for whether it's like I mentioned, pull player at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I agree. Let's keep going with that topic of MLB because it was announced yesterday by commissioner Rob Manfred that the Rangers of Arlington, Texas, they're going to be hosting the 2024 all-star game and other all-star week events. Revan, what are your kind of, just initial thoughts on this decision here to have the all-star game hosted by the Rangers. Yeah, I think we knew it was coming. We knew Globe Life, Globe Life Field was, you know, obviously the newer ballparks. We saw Globe Life Field host the World Series during the COVID pandemic and mm-hmm. parts of the uh, National League Championship Series. So um, it'd be nice to see, you know, this new ballpark. Obviously, we mentioned 
Uh, a few weeks ago, that it was the site where Aaron Judge hit a 60-second home run. So already some historic events in there. Include Joe Musgrove's no-hitter as well, the first no-hitter in Padres history, um, also at Globe Life Field as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Danny, how much uh, baseball were you able to watch this season, if, if any? Um, I actually kept up a lot by, like, uh, just social media, not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, after I saw I I was surprised, not going to lie, because that was a time I was just running around getting things situated. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was thinking Dodgers, right? Dodgers. And I don't know. Right. I just pull out my phone and, you know, it's Astros Phillies. And I was like, how did this, how did this happen? And then my coworker, <laughs> I'll start telling me, like, this is what happened, man. You know, Padres got in, whatever Phillies are in and now Astros are in. And I was just like, wow. Wow, that is crazy. Like, how, how did that happen? Yeah. And <laughs> I, I kind of didn't know. Like I said, I'm learning the sport a little bit more. But he did mention that, uh, you know, that part of the reason why everyone loves this sport is because it's so unpredictable. And that makes so much sense now. You know, when you see someone at the top, it doesn't make sense. They have 100-something wins, and they lose to someone that has, like, 80 wins or something like that. Yeah. Like, that just doesn't click in my head. But that makes sense why it's so attractive. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was I was surprised that things unfolded how they did. Um so, so yeah, I don't know what you guys were expecting uh, someone else to be in the World Series finals, but I was definitely shook when, as someone that doesn't watch a sport like that, to flip mm-hmm. sides and be like, Dodgers and Yankees aren't there? What's, what's going on? We were talking yeah. about this the whole year. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And the Padres, at the trade deadline, they made a lot of moves to improve their team. That's how they beat the Dodgers, you know, picking up Juan mm-hmm. Soto, Brandon Drury, Josh Bell. And now you see, after the Astros win the World Series, Hot stove has pretty much begun, and we see all these teams also making moves. So, Brevin, let's break that down a little bit, the transactions that have occurred this week, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday, first baseman Anthony Rizzo from the Yankees declined his qualifying offer but returned to the Yankees for two years and for $34 million. He has a club option for $17 million in 2025. How big of a deal is this for the Yankees? Yeah, it was huge. It- there are people around baseball that wasn't sure where Anthony Rizzo was going to land. You know, we knew that he was mostly likely going to decline that qualifying offer. It was about $19 million. And um, you see this two-year $34 million contract with uh, another $17 million with that club option. It, um, there are some people saying that Anthony Rizzo could have been a Padre, um, you know, teams that need first baseman um, this winter. So, but it just locks uh, Anthony Rizzo up to stay in um, the Bronx for another couple of years. Yeah, only two players accepted the one-year $19.65 million qualifying offer remaining with those teams, those players being Giants outfielder Jock Peterson, Rangers left-handed pitcher Martin Perez, and then the others who declined the qualifying offer are now free agents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think with Jock Peterson and Martin Perez, I think they were both going to get under – um, a 19.65 average annual value on their contract. So I think that's why they decided uh, to take that um, one-year deal. You know, I think about mm-hmm. Jack Peterson and everything that he's been through, you know, won the, won the World Series with the Braves, won it with the Dodgers in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw, you know, just the bat that he provides, especially, you know, in a quirky um, Oracle Park in what San Francisco brings. And then you yeah. think about, Martin Perez, you know, he's just been so consistent as he's above 30 years old. Um, and for him to just continue to to be kind of like that anchor of that Texas starting rotation, 
Um, it's huge. It just fortifies that rotation um, ahead of what the winner provides for now Bruce Bochy's uh, Texas Rangers. Yeah, another transaction involving an outfielder and two pitchers actually occurred on Wednesday in a trade. The Blue Jays sent outfielder Teoscar Hernandez to Seattle for a right-handed pitcher. Eric Swanson, they also got a prospect left-handed pitcher and Adam Mako. What does this yeah. trade do for mm-hmm. both sides here? Yeah, you see Seattle, they're getting a big bat uh, right in the middle of their lineup. You know, to I think Teoscar Hernandez will probably play left field. Um, and then you'll have Julio Rodriguez in center. You'll have um, Mitch Haniger in right field. And then it just opens up a bat. And then you think about Toronto side, one of the things that they kind of lacked this year was a left-handed hitting bat. So you kind of seen them starting to look at maybe guys like Brandon Nimmo, for example, you know, a left-handed yeah. hitter um, that could really help that um, left-handed portion uh, within their lineup. All right, let's get into these award winners from the Baseball Writers Association of America that were announced this week. We went over this in our last episode, mm-hmm. Revan and I did. And so go check that episode out. Uh, we went over that with Christian Alvarez. Um, but yeah, Jackie Robinson, Rookie of the Year, went to Michael Harris from the NL and Julio Rodriguez from the AL. Revan, what did your, what'd you kind of think about these picks here? Yeah, it's pretty much what we, what we predicted last week. You know, we said that, you know, with the job that Spencer Schrader's done and we think about Michael Harris's production, we just saw the writers uh, chose, you know, just hitting being more dominant um, compared to the pitching side. And you think about the American League, I'm pretty sure Julio Rodriguez was a unanimous choice, I'm pretty sure. But mm-hmm. all three all three of those candidates were all worthy of being uh rookie of the year and is, we think about the year that julio rodriguez had you know as you just mentioned julio rodriguez just missed a unanimous vote by one you know it's <laughs> it tells you how good of a season that yeah um he had he was the uh julio rodriguez was the fifth uh seattle mariner to be honored with the rookie of the year um to be joined by Alvin Davis in 84, Kazuhiro Sasaki in 2000, as well as Ichiro Suzuki in 2001. Yeah, so let's move on to manager of the year here. And Danny, we all kind of expected the Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts, to get this, winning 111 games during the regular season. Turns out he actually lost. So I think that was the biggest surprise, at least for me, Brevin. I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but that, that kind of stuck out to me with Buck Walter of the Mets winning NL Manager of the Year. And then from the AL side, it was Terry Francona from the Cleveland Guardians. Yeah, with the National League side, the thing that stands out is it just the, it doesn't show you that it's only based on wins. You know, we yeah. saw the Dodgers have a 10-game win difference between them and technically both Brian St. Kerr, the Braves, and Buck Showalter. But you think about what Buck Showalter ha- came into this year. You know, this was a um, a manager that came into an organization that was kind of all over the place. We saw, the, I think it was the City Field Rotunda be on fire. We saw, I think it was the Lindor and somebody else give thumbs down to the fans, you know, last <laughs> year. And that's what he kind of had to, yeah. he kind of had to do that. And for him to be able to lead this team back to the postseason for the first time, I think 2016. Yeah. You know, and this is what 
you know, especially Mets fans, what they want is to, you know, be right where they were in 2015, 2000. You know, that's what they want. And Buck Showalter helped them get to at least, uh, you know, a point in the postseason. And for a lot of this year, the Mets were a first place team. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a little bit of a surprise, but Buck Showalter, mm-hmm. obviously very deserving to be on that list as well and winning manager of the year from the NL. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Cy Young. This is pretty much what we all expected here. Sandy Alcantara from the NL and Justin Verlander winning it on the AL side. I mean, this is as clear cut as you can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both these two t- both these two players were unanimous, uh, making it the first time since the year of the pitcher in 1968 when uh, both the NL and the American League Cy Young both went to unanimous votes. That was when uh, Denny McLean won it, as well as Bob Gibson. And for to see what Senior Contra did this year, you know, it's so you know unbelievable. Six complete games. You know, not only did that lead the team, but he led all of Major League Baseball, and he beat out all other 29 teams with those six complete games. And, you know, it's an art of pitching that we really aren't seeing these days. You know, we're used to seeing, mm-hmm. you know, pitchers go eight innings. You know, we think about, for example, Kurt Schilling, you know, going over 300 innings even late in his career. We're seeing Daniel Contra do that now. And you're seeing other teams around the league, you know, m- you know not go three times around the order. This is Santa Contra going facing lineups three, four, five times in an order throughout an entire game. Yeah. And for him to have the success that he did, you know, we pimp, we talked about it last week. His ERA is down by went down by full run or two from um twenty twenty one. It shows you the success that he was able to have. And you think about Justin Berlander and for him to rebound the way he did, you know, after not playing in twenty twenty one with Tommy John yeah. surgery, you know it. There's a lot, you know, one point, what was it? What do you say? 1.75 ERA this year. Um, you know, it's huge for what he did and what he was able to help this Astros team do. Um, in addition to his other, um, fellow teammates within that rotation. The final award that was announced by the Baseball Writers Association of America was MVP of the American League and National League mm. of Major League Baseball. And this is kind of what we expected as well. Mm-hmm. And Revan, our, our players from our both favorite respective teams, finished second in the voting. Yes. So mm-hmm. Paul Goldschmidt won it from the NL. Aaron Judge, as we expected, won it from the AL. And Machado finished second in the NL. Otani, on the other hand, finished second in the AL. So Goldie and Judge took it home. Yeah, one thing I love. One thing I liked was you saw, I think the really, really, the writers, they pretty much mo- most, if not all of them on the Ashley side, saw how good of a year both Paul Goldschmidt and Manny Machado have to have them one too. And I think that stands out. Um, even though Manny wasn't the MVP, it just tells you how good of a year that Paul Goldschmidt had. Both him and Judge were up, at, were up in the Triple Crown at one point um, throughout the year. And we saw both him and judge do that. And you think about Manny Machado, um, you know, I mentioned it last week, you know, and just how good of a season that he had, how much mm-hmm. he had to lead this Padres team without, you know, any additional help. You saw Paul Goldschmidt have Nolan Arenado who placed third in the MVP voting, you know, he, Manny didn't really have that help. And for him to finish second place, it says a lot of what he was able to do this year. And I think a lot of momentum 
for Manny Machado going into next year. And we think about the other side who finished second, Shohei Otani. He was, he got two first plagues of votes, hence from the two Angels writers, to prevent Aaron Judge from a unanimous MVP decision. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy considering the year that he had, and he only gets two votes. But mm-hmm. that's just the way it is, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. It helps when you hit 62 home runs, as we've talked about. You know, I think for us, we didn't really, we weren't really sure what this, you know, this is the first time we were seeing someone do something for the first time, you know, continue to do something for the first time in a hundred years versus achieve something at a plate that hasn't been done in 60 years. So that was kind of the decision that, you know, writer, these BBWA writers had to make um, in the American league. Right. Right. Exactly. Speaking of Padres players, we just talked about Manny Machado. He is going to have a new hitting coach. So the San Mm -hmm. Diego squad is, Going to hire Ryan Flaherty from the who's the Padres seventh hitting coach since 2015. Kevin Acey from the San Diego Union Tribune announced that on Tuesday. That's what he reported, and he's had some experience there in San Diego. Yeah, Ryan Flaherty's been with the team for the last few years, working with the hitters. This comes after the Tigers um, hiring Michael Bergara. Obviously, he has mich- roots with the University of Michigan, I believe, so he's a little bit closer to home, um, but. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just with Ryan Flaherty, what he's been able to do, Morgan Burkhart. Um, it's just with the hitting coaches, the Padres have been able to find their consistent piece um, at the hitting position. We've seen, you know, well, the different spots in different years where there's just so many downfalls within this hitting, whether it's whether this year you can put Trent Grisham's 184, whether it's, um, you know, looking at too many strikes right down the middle, mm-hmm. whether it's, um, you know, just putting the ball in play, you know, we see team batting average being a little bit lower than what we expect, you know, in years past. And so the Padres are still trying to find um, whether it's, um, you know, some of those top hitting coach, t- trying to find their own um, top hitting coach that will be able to, to remain um, on the Padres staff. Another move happening with mm-hmm. the Padres was the re-signing of Nick Martinez. He opted out of his, Six and a half million dollar player option last week. He signed a new deal for three years and $26 million. That includes incentives. So you see the Padres keeping him around as well as Robert Suarez. Yeah, this one is huge because, yeah, we saw Nick Martinez opt out, but we did say last week that the two sides were um, still negotiating on those per reports. And uh, we see Nick Martinez, you know, from the announcements on social media saying, um, that he did sign. So it's a good step to either have Nick Martinez as your number five starter or within part of that bullpen on top of officially signing Robert Suarez to that deal as we mentioned last week. All right, let's move up the five. Let's talk some angels now. That is Shohei Otani. Not only did he finish second MVP, but he announced that he's going to play for Team Japan in the World Baseball Classic. Brevin, how hyped are you for this? Yeah, I think this is pretty cool to see. You know, you think about um, how good this World Baseball Classic is going to be shaping up. You know, we think about how much this game has grown in the majors from a global standpoint. And now we get to see it in the World Baseball Classic. And one of the best to do it is going to be playing for his home his, his team and Shohei Otani, we've seen other players commit. The only thing that, and I said this, I think it was a couple months ago, was 
how much are these pitchers going to be ready um, in March? Yeah. I think that that's going to be the question uh, with these major league pitchers. Mm-hmm. Some more Angels news is on Tuesday, the team signed Tyler Anderson from the Dodgers, starting left-handed pitcher. Obviously, he was an all-star last year. He inked a three-year, $39 million deal, according to Jeff Passan of ESPN, that became official from the Angels on Wednesday. He rejected the qualifying offer from the Dodgers to keep him in L.A., but he had a 15-5 and record, an ERA of just above two and a half. And he pitched more than 158 innings last season. So now he's a part of a rotation with four lefties. Yeah, this is huge, you know, for the Angels. It tells you that, you know, it, you know, this is an Angels team that wants to get better with its starting rotation. We've said it in the past, whether we mentioned it last week with Griffin Canning, you mentioned with Otani, you mentioned with Patrick Sandoval, that, um, you know, this is a, a good pitching staff. It's not a great pitching staff, but adding someone like Tyler Anderson, you know, helps and fortify that starting pitching, especially as, as we said, you know, good playoff teams have strong, strong starting pitching. Yeah. You mentioned depth is a big need for the angels. And they also added to that today. They traded their number 22 prospect, Alejandro Hidalgo for twins, third baseman, Gio Urshela. Not sure where he's going to play, but it's going to be somewhere in the infield. Yeah. First off on Hidalgo, he's a, I think it was a 19-year-old from what I heard that can okay. put it that he's already had nine uh reached 94 on the fastball so the, the twins you know look at that future there um with this type of a move um but then you think about the Angels and them getting Gio Urshela it's like a you know, we think about David Fletcher being a utility guy you know Gio Urshela looks like when everyone's healthy Gio Urshela is going to be that super utility guy uh for this Angels team All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk some World Cup. That's why Danny's here. That's what he's hyped to get into. We're going to break down every single group that's going to participate in the World Cup. We're going to also predict our World Cup winners, as well as who's going to win the Golden Boot, who's going to score the most goals in this tournament. We're also going to get into a little bit of NFL and some fantasy as well. And at the end of this, I'm going to quiz Danny on some World Cup history. So... Hope you're ready for that. <laughs> we'll be right back. Love it, love it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is the second half of our Diamond episode, episode number 75. Uh, Kyle Betts here alongside myself, Brevin Hondo. We are joined with Juan Daniel Avila, an intern at ESPN. He's out in Bristol, Connecticut. Um, Danny is here with his dog. Danny, uh, how have you been doing so far? Man, it's been, uh, like I said, it's been a, a journey definitely being here. Mm-hmm doing that uh the whole thing moving from the west coast to the east coast is a mm-hmm. trip itself 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, you know, getting adjusted to the whole environment over here now that I'm here is uh, another story to tell. But uh, like I mentioned earlier in, in the beginning, it's it's all for a sacrifice. It's all to yeah. uh, get better, grow and, mm-hmm. and, and get get uh, get more connections and opportunities from here because mm-hmm. things only get brighter from here on out. But yeah, yeah, my little dog, he he bothers me if I don't pet him now. So um, he's adjusting to the weather too, <laughs> even mm-hmm. though he has more fur than me. But uh, definitely, um, I'm glad that you guys mm-hmm. uh, invited me here again. I always enjoy these uh, moments with you guys, definitely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One question I did want to ask you before we get anybody with the World Cup, you know, as we were talking in our first half, you know, how much now that you're at ESPN, how much more sports are you learning a lot more than just the ones that you primarily know? Yeah, I would say a little bit of everything because mm-hmm. um, everyone there has like their own niche. You know, some people like love soccer like myself. Some people like hockey. Some people like basketball, baseball <laughs> and so forth. And now that I'm being placed uh, with basketball, I- I'm learning a little, a little bit more of the rules. I even got uh, around with my coworkers now where you, we go play. So I'm getting better at the game myself (laughs) now. Uh I've always loved it and enjoyed it, but I never got to fully explore it and, you know, get better playing. And then uh, at the same time, knowing the history. So watching a lot of documentaries, reading uh, and Uh just researching is is the way I'm Uh doing it now. There's no other better way than physically looking at it and and doing it myself. Uh So Uh I'm definitely learning a lot. Like I said, uh, I didn't know a lot about uh, baseball, and one of my first things that ever aired on uh, Sports Center was uh, a baseball highlight, ten seconds, <laughs> and I think it was Philly someone. I can't remember because I was so nervous, but uh, that was my first thing, and I was like, you know, what is a good strikeout? What what is a good hit? You know, and so I yeah. had to learn from from people that dearly love the game, and that's been helping me a lot. People that are passionate <laughs> for what they do really really give you that grip of what is that sport like and they make you uh-huh. respect it so um, yeah. that that's a good way to answer it uh-huh. most definitely uh-huh. all right let's get into some world cup we're just two days away from the 2022 mm-hmm. world cup taking off in qatar we're gonna break each group so let's break down on uh, group a and in that group, you got Qatar, um, the home team. You got Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands. Yes, we do. Qatar. Man, so a lot of controversy, you know, coming in <laughs> as we know it. Uh, Qatar, I think we even saw a tweet. I don't know if you saw it, Kyle, uh, saying that supposedly there's some, someone uh, from the Qatarian committee offered money to the Ecuadorians to lose on the first game. Yes. That's at this point, it could be a rumor, but at the same time, it can't be because that's how kind of Qatar came Qatar to be Qatar. Yeah. So um, that's that. But I highly believe in the, in the group a, for me, I have them highlighted here. Netherlands has to pass as first and Ecuador is going to be right under. If Sadio Mane was going to be healthy, I would say Senegal would have definitely uh, took an Ecuador off uh, for that second position, but Netherlands for sure um, going to be on top of the group and then Ecuador. And I mean, Senegal could still potentially fight for that spot, but Ecuador is looking nice. I, I, I like their players are dangerous, uh, fast, um, and, but Qatar is the one that probably doesn't have a chance in, in this group and they're going to see themselves. <laughs> I think the mm-hmm. best chance is probably against Ecuador. So yeah, um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know who you guys see Kyle and, uh, Revenue. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's funny you bring that up, the Qatar, you know, paying Ecuador 
uh, off in order to win that first game because also it's interesting <laughs> because Qatar is also hiring uh, Pakistani soccer supporters to come cheer on different teams, That's and they're crazy. and they're paying them to stay in Qatar and be there for the <laughs> tournament for just to support like Brazil and Spain and like all sorts of. Different, it's so random. It, it's very <laughs> odd, but um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Netherlands is for sure going to win this group. I'm actually going to take Senegal to play second. I think it could be close, mm. but I think they have a couple guys that will make a difference for them. Edward Mendy, good keeper for Chelsea. Uh, Kalidou Koulibaly, he's in Chelsea now too. So uh, I think, yeah, those are a couple guys that can make some differences. Ismaili Asar, Idrissa Gay. I think they have a couple guys that could, you know, really defend uh, the back and also play midfield very well. But again, like you said, they're missing – that main piece, which is money. So I think they're going to have some tough times trying to score some goals too. So I got Netherlands and Senegal, but we'll, we'll see. Huh? We'll see yep. what happens. All right, let's move on to group B. This is where Team USA is featured in this uh, group. You also got England, Iran, and you got Wales. Danny, what's your expectations here in group B? Wow. It's a, when I see group B and, and I can't help myself to group see group C right after Yep. Pretty similar uh, in terms of competition and I agree. Way it, it's ranked and stuff. It's pretty similar, um, you know, odds. England, obviously, everyone think they're, they're the favorite to be in um, in the first position there. But I want to say U.S. is going to come on second place. And I think that's what everyone here in the U.S. is, is cheering for. Um they're going to have to battle off, obviously, with Wales and Iran. I don't think Iran has a chance in, in this group. If anything, it's going to be in between U.S. and Wales to be on the second uh, position. But I'm rooting for uh, USA here. I think I think uh, USA is, is uh, known for doing surprises, too, and being an upsetter. And, you know, I think the classic uh, ideal scenario here, and at least the people uh, – from the U.S. will say is that they're going to be England, right? Same as uh, <laughs> Mexicans are saying we're going to be Argentina, but you know it's up it's up in the air. Uh, I think the best paper that U.S. could do here is get a tie against England. You know, mm-hmm. I, if, mm-hmm. I, if I'm in the World Cup, personally, me with my good healthy knees, is I'm parking the bus, and as soon as I get a counter, a corner, I'm hitting play or something. I'm going in for that header. And trying to get a goal in, but mm-hmm. uh, you know we're, we're just gonna have to see how the tactics are played there. But uh, definitely they're gonna play their first game uh, against Wales, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they have to they have to go all out. They have to make their their stance there and say this is how we're gonna play, and uh, we plan on beating Wales. And obviously they have to beat Iran for them to be in talks of being in, in that second position. But who do you guys think uh, is taking first and second? Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. It all comes down to that first game against Wales. You need three points out of that game, no doubt about it. And and I think England, you know, it's going to be tough. They're a tough team, but uh, I agree. I think it's going to be England and U.S. coming out of that group in that order. I think it's important for the U.S. to rely on a second goal scorer because we know Pulisic is, is going to get his, but is it going to be Josh Sargent? You know, could we even see Jordan Morris play a couple games in the group stages and step up as well? Tim Weah could also be that guy on the right side, but I don't, I don't know. I, I think it really comes down to who's going to be that second source of playmaking ability. That's going to be important. We can even see Gino Reyna be one of those guys and, mm-hmm. make, and make a difference for us. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's just really, 
it, it just comes down to that, in my opinion. But yeah, USA right now with minus 120 betting odds to come out of the group stages. Stay with Mexico in Group C. Let's get into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Group C, you got Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Daniel, I'll start with you. What do you expect to see from Team Mexico here um, within this uh, crowded Group C? In a dream scenario, in a dream world, I would say Mexico first place, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, they're laughing when they hear that. Uh, but obviously, you know, Mexico's kind of the same way in, in the USA. They'll be playing uh, terrible football coming into a World Cup. And all of a sudden comes here day one. Uh, we saw it four years ago. They played Germany and they shocked the world, right? They win uh, 1-0 with the uh, Chucky Lozano's goal. So same thing here. Poland, they have to make that stance. Everyone's talking about, oh, well, they have the best number nine in the world. They do. But then at the same time, we go back four years ago, different Mexico, obviously, uh, but they beat the uh, the champs, you know, the world contenders. And so I think in this case, they have to do the same thing as the USA, make a stance, get those three points against Poland, uh, go Argentina. They, like I said, ideal scenario is beat them, but we've never beaten them in the World Cup stage. So for us, a tie would be would be it. And obviously get uh, the job done with Saudi Arabia to come in the, the second place. But Poland and Mexico are going to be fighting. They're going to be fighting. I don't see Saudi Arabia uh, too strong, even though they've been uh, – I've heard they, they set up a little league these past couple of weeks where they've just been playing teams like Mexico and the CONCACAF, quick teams, uh, and uh, they're, they're getting informed. So we can't count them out. That's what I'm saying. Mexico has to get the job done when they're facing them. And, I mean, Poland, if they really want to fight, they're going to have to put up a fight against uh, Saudi Arabia. And, I mean, I, I I shouldn't even talk about Argentina because they're top contenders. They're, there's no way they're not going to lose uh, against uh, – they're going to they're gonna win against Poland, Saudi Arabia, and then uh, Mexico is where they're going to be having a tough time because the, they've always had good games. I'll tell you that. It's going to be a good game uh, unless it's 3-0 at halftime. And then, uh, you know, I'll turn off my TV and I'll go from there. <laughs> but, um, no, yeah, definitely. Mexico and Argentina, I've seen them passing in that uh, order. Mm-hmm. Kyle, how do you see group uh, C working out? I think it's, like, so eerily similar to group B here because mm-hmm. I feel like Mexico is in the same position as the U.S. They really need to come out on top and perform well in that first group stage game. Poland versus Mexico, November 22nd. Um it's going to be tough, but I, I think Mexico, if they're able to pull it off, I think they come out of this group in second. I think Argentina, as they are the favorite, they should come in first. But, man, I like this Mexico squad, and Poland's going to be tough. I mean, Lewandowski, they got Milik, um, Zielinski, they got Wojciech Chesney in goal, too. So they have a lot of really good names, but I, I think Mexico might have the better squad put together. And so I, I think that's what it's going to come, going to come down to. Um, how well can they play? We all know that midfield is going to be important for Mexico, as it always is. And we need some goals from Raul Jimenez, man. I want to see him yeah. perform very well uh, in this <laughs> tournament. So I got Mexico also coming out of this group. <laughs> I believe in them. Um, and it would be so much fun to see them in the U.S. make the round of 16. Mm-hmm. I yeah, we think, saying, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> we think about here in the Western Hemisphere, you know, one of the biggest rivalries in soccer is U.S.-Mexico. Who do you see make? Who do you see going further um, in this World Cup between the two teams? Oh man, I don't even know the the bracket. I'll, I'll have to look at the bracket real quick in order to answer that question because I don't know if 
I think the U.S. would have to end up playing. Gosh, I'm trying to find it right now. I don't even know who they would end up playing to if they had to go further. But I guess just based on expectation, I, I feel like it should be the U.S. that probably should be expected to go further just because not being in the in the previous World Cup and having this new young generation of players sort of mature, I think the expectation there is a little bit higher than Mexico to this point. But I don't know who's going to go further because it's so interesting. Not only do the U.S. and Mexico have the same betting odds to go to the group to the knockout stages, but they had the same betting odds to win the entire World Cup. So it's I don't know. Maybe they both crash out at the same stage of the tournament. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what do you think, Danny? Yeah, so hard to predict. Like I said, they're they're both in the same case scenario. Uh, fact here is that you know Mexico has only gone to the fifth game once, and that was in, in when they hosted the the World Cup in uh, Mexico. But ever mm-hmm. since then, that's never happened, and uh, that's the one thing uh, Mexicans uh, have been fighting for the last decades uh, is to pass to that fifth game. And uh, you know, I always say it. Uh, I'm always really optimistic is that they're going to get past that fifth game. But uh, seeing this team too. It gives me hopes, but at the same time, uh, it, it, to be realistic, if we get, you know, a team like Brazil or Belgium, Spain, any of the top 10, it's mm-hmm. very unlikely that we'll pass just because being realistic, the teams one by one, we have to really, really be looking at miracles to pass uh, uh-huh. uh, to the next stage. But uh-huh. uh, if they do, and I always say this, if Mexico, the U.S. do pass to that next phase, they, they win that fifth game then we're speaking dangerous. Then we're looking at yeah. the real dark horses, uh-huh. you know, get catch a, you know, go to Vegas, put your money on them because uh, that's when you could say, Hey, you know, they're, they're contenders to at least make it uh-huh. to the semis. Like I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, we got to go first step by step and go to the fifth round, you know, yep. let's go to quarters and then uh, uh-huh. start round of 16. And then we'll, once we're in quarters, man, it's a, it's a surprise, you know, grab on tight mm-hmm. to your seats. Uh-huh. If Mexico, is the second team out of Group C. They would take on the top team in Group D, which is France, Australia, Denmark, or Tunisia. Um, how do we see Group D shaping up? I'll start on this one. I think France is undeniably the favorite out of this group. I think no doubt about mm-hmm. that. I don't even need to say the names who play for that country because we all know that. We they mentioned it earlier previous, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they won the previous World Cup and we all know how talented they are at every single level. I mean, we, we still got Olivier Giroud playing at a high level for them too, which is crazy. I didn't expect him to be in this position, but this season he's been so good for AC Milan and he's definitely going to get some playing time in this tournament too. But I mean, that's just a name that shows you, you know, even these older players that play for France are still sticking around. So I have them coming out and I think Denmark coming out in second is probably what's to be expected. They have some names that stand out for them. Christian Eriksen, I think, is going to play for them. We saw them perform well in the Euros a couple years back, too. So I'm going France and Denmark. Danny, who you got? No, yeah, that's that's what I have here as well, France and Denmark. Um, man, just, look at, just looking at the roster here, when you play with them on FIFA, it's ridiculous. You know, speed on top, <laughs> great midfield passing and defending in the middle, which is what you want, and then in the back, speed and and uh, uh physicality there 
it's going to be hard to get past this team. They're definitely going to be defending their crown. Um, and mm-hmm. man, I mean, this is his prime. Uh, he's got one over Messi and uh, Ronaldo and Neymar. So you know that, that that talk is done. Now he wants to he wants to prove people that he's next up. He's he's the guy that is going to carry this next generation of players. So I see I see Brazil going. Or sorry, I see France going very far if they don't go to the semis uh you know finals maybe but uh mm-hmm. definitely they're not they're not gonna let go of their crown easily i'll i'll say that uh and then like i said that they're they're stacked <laughs> they're stacked we like I said, we don't have to say any much names uh benzema's playing the best football of his life mm-hmm. uh and then i mean denmark is right behind them you know they've, mm-hmm. they've always been solid I don't think Australia is going to do much uh, or Tunisia. So uh, France and Denmark is obviously the, the, the teams to see here. And it's uh-huh. now almost placing them. Who are they going to see in the round of uh, 16? Uh-huh. In the quarters, we could see a matchup between France if they're the top team in Group D versus England if they're the top team in Group B if they move mm-hmm. on to the quarters. So. Looking at that matchup. All right, we move on to the bottom four groups. Group letter E, we got Spain, you got Japan, you got Germany, and you got Costa Rica here in Group B. Yeah, this is going to be a tough group, I think, to determine who finishes on top because there are two, you know, really big dogs trying to compete for this top spot in this group. So it just all comes down to... Costa Rica and Japan, how well they're able to compete with Spain and Germany here. And I think goal difference could also very well be a factor in this Mm -hmm. group. So that's also something to consider. Um, If I had to guess, uh, these two teams are both so deep as well, Spain and Germany. But I'm going to go Spain finishing on top and then Germany in second here. Who do you got, Danny? I want to say as well, Spain, uh, they've, they've been doing very well as well. Their tiki taka never gets old. So, yeah, definitely them on top. But uh, the day that they play Spain and Germany, that's going to be a heck of a game mm-hmm. for sure. You're going to not want to miss that game out for sure. Uh, but Germany definitely second, if not first. Whoever wins that game, that's when you're, you're, you're going to know oh, who's yeah. going to be, who's taking uh, uh, that group. That group could almost be uh, one of the death groups here. I like, obviously, if you keep seeing Group F and then Group H is, is another big topic. But uh, Costa Rica is one of those teams where you're like, oh, they're not going to make it, but they're definitely going to give you a hard time. Mm-hmm. The way they play, the Ticos, they, 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 they'll stand back and then they'll look for that counter, any little chance they got. You know, we could go back to a couple of World Cups where they went further. Uh, and uh, I mean, Japan, they don't got much, but they're a team that is not going to let loose either. They're very competitive, yeah. you know, they're very physical, very fast. So um, I think at this stage, every team, has that capacity it's it's whether or not uh they have the heart to do it and we've seen it like i said mexico beat germany four years ago that could be japan that could be costa rica mm-hmm. but definitely um if if germany plays their cards right they'll be putting up that second um place with the uh, spain spain's just has an incredible mm-hmm. squad as well mm-hmm. uh, especially those youngsters coming up uh that are going to be carrying this uh, generation as well that game between Spain and Germany, that match is slated for November 27th at 11 o'clock a.m. Pacific time. 
That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So you can put that on here. your calendar. So. There you go. All right. We got a group F. We got Belgium. We got Canada. We got Croatia. And we got Morocco uh, here in this group. Yeah, I think this will be another interesting group. We've seen Canada perform very well in recent years, much better than they have in years prior. No doubt about that. I think Belgium should be the group expected to come out on top here. And I think Croatia is going to finish second. But Croatia, they, they've got some guys as well. We all know Luka Modric. He always shows up when it matters most. And uh, he, he's kind of that, that midfield maestro that we all expect him to be when, when they need to rely on him. And they have some good depth as well on their team. So um, Kovacic as, as well, he's been one of those players for Chelsea who's really gotten better over the past couple seasons. So I think it is going to be Belgium and Croatia, but Canada, they got some guys too. Jonathan David and Alfonso Davis, they could make it interesting. Danny, how do you see group um, F playing out between Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia? I mean, Canada was uh, number one in the CONCACAF, um, mm-hmm. you know, stages, and uh, they played by far way better than uh, United States and Mexico. So definitely if a, a false Dev- a Davis and their crew could uh, pull one off, I could see them even coming in second place. But, you know, you can't leave Croatia out. Uh, they went to the final four years ago. So why not, you know, try to get out of the group stage? And that's what Canada is going to have to fight. Morocco, not going to lie, they have a lot of players that play in high-quality teams, mm-hmm. uh, Hakimi being one with PSG and other youngsters. Uh, they have some talent, but, you know, could they beat uh, teams like Belgium that are completely stacked right. as well? And uh, But we've seen Belgium kind of um, trip and have little stumbles when it comes to these teams. So I want to say this is one of those death groups too. Uh, but obviously favorites to be first and second would be Belgium and Croatia. Uh, but like I said, Canada could be one of those dark horses. They're a sleeper. They, they could potentially beat Belgium or Croatia and obviously uh, get the job done like Morocco. I, I put them in the same instance as uh, Mexico and the USA. It's uh, They're going to play their cards off, and they're, they're not, they're not going to be easy to, uh, to beat for sure. They're going to put a battle against all these teams. But definitely Belgium as favorite for me. All right, let's take a look at Group G. We got Brazil. Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. Danny, how do you see Group G going? going? Joga Bonito. Brazil has to get uh, their favorites to to even win this uh, World Cup. So definitely Mm -hmm. Neymar has a lot to show. This Mm -hmm. is probably his last chance to say to unleash his full potential. We know he missed out the last World Cup because of the instances. And uh, I think this, this, this time around, he's got, you know, Rafinha on his right, Vinicius, Rodrigo, mm-hmm. endless, endless talent, just like France. A lot of youngsters that weren't here four years ago are now going to be playing. And so I say they're, they're first. I put Serbia second because, I mean, today they won 5-0 or something like that, 5-2. Mm-hmm. And they've they just been – they're another sleeper as well. Cameroon, you can't say no to them. But at the same time, I think Serbia and Brazil are going to come out on top at the end of the day. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, I agree. I think Brazil, they're going to do what we expect them to do. No doubt about that. But I think Serbia is going to finish second. Switzerland could make it very close, but I think you touched on it perfectly. Serbia's squad is really good. That midfield uh, with Tadic and Kostic, Milinkovic-Savic, and then they have uh, Dusan Vlahovic, who 
has been really good for Juventus over the past year or so. I think they're going to find their way to get some goals. So I'm going to take Serbia second. All right. We move on to the final group, group letter H. You got Portugal. You got the Republic of Korea. You got Ghana and you got Uruguay. How do we see uh, group H um, playing out? Danny, I'll start with you. Portugal, obviously favorites to be, uh, you know, first place coming out of this group. And this is where it gets tricky. You know, you got Ghana, you got Uruguay and uh, Korean Republic. Uh, I think Uruguay will make it to being number two in this uh, mm-hmm. in this group. But, you know, Ghana could get the revenge of what happened a couple of years ago. You know, uh, yeah. we're going to see that. And I mean, Korea Republic played a of a game uh, against Germany four years ago, which gave uh, Mexico the pass when they uh, played a Germany and pretty much essentially locked Germany out of the World Cup. So you can't leave him out. I mean, Son, man, Son could do the job by himself. The whole time. He just give him the ball and he'll shoot. And uh, if it gets tricky, you know, they could possibly even compete for that second place. But no, definitely uh, you can't content, count out. It's Ronaldo's last World Cup as we talked about it. They're fully concentrated. I saw the game where they won 4-0 like on Tuesday. They They just made it look too easy playing back, playing beautiful football. This is one of the best uh, Portugal squads I've seen in my time. So um, can't get any better for Ronaldo. So definitely Portugal mm-hmm. coming up on top. Uruguay wide behind because they have a lot of talented uh, uh, folks down there too. All right, let's move on to some golden boot predictions. Um, Kyle, what do you see uh, taking home the golden boot? Yeah, it's tough. I think... I really do like Kylian Mbappe to win this, to be honest with you. I think Benzema is a guy who could easily overtake him, but I feel like you said it earlier, Danny, Mbappe wants to leave a legacy for himself. He wants to leave a legacy for his country, and he's approaching that sort of prime of his career now to this point. He's still so young, but I feel like he's just going to have an outstanding World Cup. I think this France team goes far. I don't know how far they do go, but... Um, that's the key to winning this gold boot as well. How long can you keep your team in this tournament? And I think he's going to be the guy to do it. No, yeah, um, for sure. And Papa is going to be fighting that off. And, uh, you know, right behind him is probably Messi. Messi's last mm-hmm. World Cup as well. They, he, he's he been playing. He's going back to his full form. And honestly, I mean, Ronaldo's one of the only players that has scored in World Cups too. So, he he might be chasing it. We never know. We never know. Yeah. It's definitely one of those guys. Uh, I'm putting up Messi. I'm putting up Ronaldo and Mbappe. And obviously Benzema could be there. But, you know, mm-hmm. th- this is where it gets greedy, you know. Is yeah. Mbappe going to give the ball or the penalty to uh, Benzema when it comes to that? Yeah. I don't think so, right? True. Uh, the way we've seen him play at PSG, I think he's going to grab that ball and say, hey, this is this is my team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even mm-hmm. though uh, – Benzema got the Ballon d'Oro right now. But uh, I see that, and a lot of people have been saying Neymar, but I don't think Neymar, he, he could play. He's a creator, but at the end of the day, I don't think he's going to be finishing like that. And uh, I don't know, Harry Kane too. We could see Harry Kane uh, contending for that. His shot is deadly, man. All, all we could see is, is 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 him getting goals too. So we'll see, but uh, definitely for me, it's Mbappe and Messi up there uh, contending that uh the, the, those goals. We're going to see a lot of goals from them. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Last thing we're going to get to on the World Cup before it kicks off. 
Who's going to win the World Cup? Ooh. Uh, yeah, this is this is going to be tough to even decide on here. I think, man, I don't know. I'll I say this: when, uh, when you think about a most complete squad, I don't know who it's going to be. <laughs> Did you see that that tweet about uh, EA tweeting out that the last four World Cups they got with the predictor they got it right every the simulator, year yeah, right, yeah, the simulator, and this year it's Argentina, and like I said, it, they can't be wrong. I mean. I see them in the semifinal, but like that, that's, that's, I see them in the final, obviously, but semifinals for sure. Uh, and it sucks because that's, I'm just counting Mexico at this point here, yeah. but, uh, I see them for sure going to be in the final or semifinal. They're the, wow, their squad. I mean, what do they have? Like 30 something games undefeated? Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Like that. mm-hmm. so they're, they're coming in a, a, in a great shape. So, uh, that'd be nice to see a little, uh, Argentina. Brazil, Argentina, France—I don't know. Like poor, like Ronaldo said, his <laughs> ideal scenario is him and Messi in the World Cup final. Imagine that. How? Imagine how how, how exciting that's going to be. It's going to kill ratings if that mm-hmm. was to happen. Oh yeah. So the, uh, the 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 teams that are top five in terms of favorite are Brazil is is favored to win. Argentina just behind France, England, Spain behind them. I mean, it's unpredictable. Any of these teams could put together a string of good performances and end up winning. I'm, I'm going to throw a country out there and it's going to be France. I think they repeat. I like their squad. I think they're, they got youth and they got experience that can support them at every level. I think they have depth if they're faced with injury. And I don't know. I, I I don't know what it is. They, they've been dealing with that injury even before this World Cup, as we mentioned earlier in, in this episode. But I like their squad. I want to pick them. <laughs> France is trying to become the first team since Brazil won back-to-back World Cups back in 1958 and 1962. There you go. So that would be the key. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to move on from soccer to the NFL, from the pitch to the grid iron we go. We got some injury news, some big injury news this week. Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup suffered an ankle injury this past week and was put on injured reserve, sidelining him for at least four weeks. Yeah, Danny, we know you're you're a Rams fan, but when you see their star <laughs> player kind of go down and the season that they're having, it's kind of like insult to injury, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah, you see things going uh, downhill from here. And uh, like you said, we're going to see injuries all the time, especially in the sport. But when it's like that, like, what what are you going to do about it? You know, you got to switch your game plan and everything else is like any other sport. But um, it sucks. It sucks. You know, what what, what could we do but hope for the best for a safe and quick recovery? Mm -hmm. Also, we go to the NFC side, one of the best teams in the NFC, the Philadelphia Eagles, their tight end, Dallas Goddard, was placed on IR with a shoulder injury. This, I'm pretty sure it was on the same play that he was fumbled the ball and had a face mask penalty that wasn't called. Yeah, no. something like that. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's tough seeing like Cup and Goddard. They're two of the best pass mm-hmm. catchers in all of the league. And you talk about the NFC. They both go down and... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the Eagles do in terms of tight end. I know they have three guys that can kind of step in there and maybe lead a committee. But, yeah, it's a tough injury. And some other news surrounding the NFL. Due to weather, 
as Danny has been noticing in the Northeast, the Bills and the Browns, their game was originally supposed to take place in Buffalo, but now it's being moved to Detroit um, at Ford Field. Yeah, apparently there's supposed to be six feet of snow there, and <laughs> now that we won't see the snow, will happen. Yeah, <laughs> we won't get a second version of the frozen tundra like we do at, uh, in, in Green Bay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Week 11 games, let's get into four games here on this NFL slate. Some of the top four games this week. Obviously, the teams on by include Tampa Bay and Seattle, who played last week in Germany. You got Jacksonville and Miami, both on by. So all three Florida teams um, on a bye this week, as well as hmm. the Seahawks. But game number one here, Jets at the Patriots. Who do we see taking this victory? Yeah, this is tough to call, but I like chaos, and I think that's all the (laughs) AFC East has been this year. So I'm going to take the Patriots. I think Mac Jones plays a really good game, and Mm -hmm. he's able to spread the ball to a bunch of different guys. I think I'll take – I really don't know who to take here, actually. Right? (laughs) (laughs) You think about both teams are over 500. Man, when have we said that? Wow, man. (laughs) But ultimately, I think – I'll take the Patriots here. It's hard to go up against uh, Bill Belichick uh, in this game. Danny, how much football have you been watching? And Puddy, how take it on this one? All I know is the Eagles are, like, the best team right now. All right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're 8-1 despite losing um, to the Vikings, who we're just going to talk next. Yeah. Um, I would say I'll, I want to go to for Patriots as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll keep uh on. I'll hop on the bandwagon here and mm-hmm. stay there, uh, since mm-hmm. I'm so close to Foxborough. Mm-hmm. All four teams in the AFC West could right now qualify for the playoffs if the season ended today. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to the Vikings right now. They host the Dallas Cowboys. The Vikings are eight and one. The Cowboys are six and three. Uh, in this matchup, a one twenty five game. That Patriots game is at ten a.m. Uh, this Vikings game is taking place at home up in Minnesota. Yeah, I think for that reason, I'll take them. And it just seems like they find a way to win every single game they play. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. We didn't really expect the Vikings and the Eagles to have eight wins and only one loss to this point. But you never know what's going to happen. So I like the Vikings team. I think Kevin O'Connell has done wonders for them, and he'll continue to do that. Mm-hmm. I think this would be one of the high-scoring games more when you think about C.D. Lamb going up against Justin Jefferson and you think about the the duo of Tony Pollard and Isaiah like going against Dalvin Cook. But I think ultimately I'll take the Vikings here. The Vikings are the only team in the NFL to have an undefeated record at home this year being 4-0. Hmm. and oh. All right, Sunday Night Football, we got the Chiefs going to the Chargers. This is the Chargers' second week. Uh, in Sunday Night Football after being flexed last week uh, facing the 49ers? I got the Chiefs Mm -hmm. because of Patrick Mahomes, and they are dealing with injury, but that does not include Travis Kelsey, and I think that's most important. And so Mm -hmm. I think for those reasons, they're going to have their way against the Chargers, who are still a little bit banged up. Um, Justin Herbert is getting healthy as well. I think Keenan Allen might actually play as well as Mike Williams, so that's going to be big. I think it will be close for those reasons, but I'm I just can't pick against the Chiefs. <laughs> no Juju Smith-Schuster in this game. No Miko mm. Hardman. Uh, Hardman went on injured reserve, 
Um, on the Chargers side, as you mentioned, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, both of them fully practice today. It is Friday, as you mentioned, Friday, November 18th. It's just about 5.30 um, as we're talking. So we can see um, the newly acquired Chief, Kadarius Tony be that top force in that Chiefs offense. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm going to have to agree with you. It's hard to go up against uh, Patrick Holmes, even despite Depp's, as we saw earlier in the air, the Chiefs were – down, I think it was 20 or 17 at one point to the Raiders, and we saw the Chiefs come back to win that game 30-29 to 29, um, in that game. So I'm going to take the Chiefs, and our final game is taking place Monday Night Football in Mexico City at Estadio Azteca between the 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals. Some a- NFC West action. Kyle, who do you got here? Uh, I'll take the Niners here. I like their team. Their record is not as indicative of – where they should be right now, in my opinion. And I think they're finding different ways to give guys the ball. We saw Elijah Mitchell kind of split carries last week with McCaffrey. I expect the same here, but yeah, it should be, it should be a little closer. I think But uh-huh. I'll take the Niners. Danny, before we get to Brevin's pick, have you ever been to Estadio Azteca? No, I have not had the mm-hmm. fortune to, to do so. I've been at the Levi stadium, so. Maybe I'm heading more towards Niners winning this game yeah. for sure. And I know my <laughs> all my Bay Area friends will love it when I say that because you know, I'm a Rams guy. But, no, it's a beautiful stadium. I think the, mm-hmm. they've been doing this for some years now, and they always yeah. get some good numbers. Yeah. So it's a great scenery, great scenery, especially that right now there's no soccer going on. There's going to be a lot of people for sure going down there. Um, yep. Check out that game. It's going to be nice. I think for this game, I'm going to lean towards the Niners, I think, on the Cardinals aspect. I know Kyler Murray's been dealing with injuries, and I know his backup, Colt McCoy, is also dealing with injuries. And I don't yeah. know who the Cardinals' third quarterback is on their depth chart. You know, I mean, you rarely hear that in the NFL these days, obviously. We hear that with uh, P.J. Walker with Carolina. Yeah. With both Sam Darnold and... Baker Mayfield going down. I haven't seen a Baker Mayfield on the concussion protocol for last week, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I'm going to take the Niners um, on this one for Monday night. All right. Let's move on to fantasy football. Danny, now that you're at ESPN, how much, how much talk of fantasy football do you hear going on? Uh, there's a lot of talk. Everyone has their own little, you know, squad <laughs> talking about it or what they owe or, or whatnot. I was, uh, we actually made one with the interns uh, this mm-hmm. summer, and I didn't get to make my team because of the moving around. But they're they're very. Um, I think it's uh, it's almost like their own little sport, you know. They're very uh, <laughs> interested in who wins mm-hmm. and who loses and stuff like that. But no, yeah, it's a it's a whole culture, and uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to join it this year. But uh, I'm gonna definitely be ready to do it next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, as some people that don't even never played are doing well. So I yep. think that, mm-hmm. that gives me uh, good vibes. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this week, Danny, Kyle and I, we faced off in the league that we uh, play in. Danny, oh, wow. who, do you th- who do you think won this week? Uh, Kyle hasn't showed much emotion right here, so I would say mm-hmm. you. <laughs> it's actually the other way around. Kyle and I are oh, both really? five. Oh, of- giving you that, mm-hmm. that like, Let's uh, go. confidence yeah. uh-huh. right there. Yeah. Wow. Let's go. Uh-huh. So how does that go? Did, did he win by like multiple points or, or how, how did that, that play out? Yeah. So for us, we play in a points per reception league. So for us, we got two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, a quarterback, a kicker, a defense, and then a flex position. So you can have a wide receiver, a running back, a tight end there. 
And Ooh. Kyle took me down pretty handedly. He put up 150 points. I put up 97. Um, I had A.J. Brown from the Philadelphia Eagles just put up a whopping 1.7 fantasy points. Caught one catch on seven for seven yards. I think it was on four targets. Yeah. And that didn't help. So, Danny, I've lost four in a row now. And oh, boy. Is it five of the last six? Huh. <laughs> you shouldn't either. Your team is good. Which no. Is, yeah. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. how it goes, I guess. But Yeah. So who's yeah, on top I, of the league right now? So on top of our league, it's um, Daily Isaac alumni. And right now, Jason Freund is on top. He's Jason. one of the uh, – <laughs> he's, he's one of the – he's one of the few – I'd say he's one of the handful of players on ES uh, – I don't know what the actual stat is. He's one of, I would say he's a handful. How do you would say handful to be yeah. at 10 and 0? Yeah. 10 and 0. 10 uh-huh. and 0. Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah. he, he takes it serious too. So I'm sure he, he's got going to have bragging no, he doesn't, for days. Jason, he, he, he does not take it seriously. His team. He, he missed his, his yeah. team. Oh, what? Mm-hmm. See, that's yeah. what I'm saying. If he could do it, then I could do it. I'm going to yes. auto draft next year for sure. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Danny, you can also. Mm-hmm. I've for me, I've been listening to the uh, ESPN their fantasy football focus podcast. Yeah, so it's got like Field Yates and uh, Stefania Bell. That's yeah. a good insight there. Um, pretty much a, a same uh, same company plug. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, right. they have their own show so uh-huh. uh, i know they have a lot of views just for that and yeah, yeah uh, uh-huh. um i know like i said all my intern friends keep up day to day with the with that show for sure so yeah. it's, it's funny that you bring that up uh-huh. yeah, i'm sure you guys are big fans of that too yeah uh-huh. yeah um Let's see. Kyle is in third place right now, or at least he would be the number three seed. He's tied with Jack Momud right now at six four. <laughs> I at one point was four and zero. I'm now five and five, and now in fifth place overall, right in the middle of the pack. Uh, lost tied for the longest losing streak with Daniel Guerrero, our commissioner this year. DG. And uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Brandon Freed is in second place. Mm-hmm. At seven and three. Yeah, we're just behind him. Mm-hmm. And below me and who I'm facing this week is Andrew Finley <laughs> at four and six. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also tied. Oh, we got a actually tied. Uh, we got a four way tie for seventh place right now. So that means all 10 teams are still in the running for the playoffs. There's six teams that can make the playoffs. Crazy. We got Daniel Guerrero, we got Devin Watley, Luis Lopez, and Amber Salas, all at <laughs> records of three and seven. Tough. Mm-hmm. So that is how <laughs> the standings shape up. Like I mentioned, Kyle faces Daniel Guerrero this week. Kyle will be without Christian Kirk. Daniel's going to be without Tyreek Hill and Trevor Lawrence. Um, Kyle will not also have the Tampa Bay defense on this matchup that I have with Andrew Finley. It's going to be a little bit tough for uh, both sides. I don't have Mike Evans from the Buccaneers, but Kyle is hurting a little bit more. He's got no Cooper Cup who's injured. He's got no Chris Godwin. He's got no Leonard Fournette. Um, no Tyler Lockett and no Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah, you're looking good for this week because Finley is 
Like his whole bench is just out. Yes. Injured. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, and right now I'm debating whether to start Mike Williams or Kadarius Tony, mm. and Kyle Pitts or Cole Komet. I don't know if you saw Brevin, but I went ahead and I picked up Deshaun Watson. <laughs> well, it's okay. I picked up Rashad White, who's on a bye this week. That's, that's so, a nice pickup, though. Uh-huh. Nice pick yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I'm stashing Deshaun Watson for yes. two weeks from now. Yeah. <laughs> So, Khan and I both stashing players. Maybe um, make a trade or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, our trade deadline is less than two weeks away. There you go. Yeah. We mm-hmm. can end up. Maybe, maybe send my home somewhere or something. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a team. You know, let's say someone gets hurt. You know, there might be a team that might want Sean Watson, Kyle. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Mm-hmm. And, too, there's still buys coming up. You know, week 14 buys at teams that, Still need to qualify for the playoffs. Um, let's see. Uh, it will really affect Marcus Mariota, but let's say um, Aaron Rodgers or Justin Herbert, they're coming up on a bye. Not Justin mm-hmm. Herbert, Justin Fields. They're coming up on a bye in week 14. Maybe one of those owners need a quarterback. So maybe you can uh, entice them for Deshaun yeah. Watson for week yeah, four. Yeah, you never know. Before – um, the trade deadline. So that's a little fantasy segment here, but we're going to get on to trivia here, and I will let Kyle take it away at testing Danny on his World Cup history. I get the week off. Yeah, Danny, <laughs> this is not uh, too difficult um, here, but it should be one that still tests your knowledge here a little bit. Um, so we're going to go over World Cup winners. Who has the most World Cups won? Of all time. And you're going to go in order by country. Uh, who has won the most to who has won the least. Obviously, but they've had to at least won one. At least won one. Okay. Yeah, that helps. But who's won more? Okay. Uh, I want to say, bro, how many, how many times I have to do it? Like pick four, three teams? Yeah, just, just go ahead and give me some names. We'll see if you're right. Let's start with uh, the teams who have won the most. This team has won five times. Brazil. It is Brazil. Uh, it is Brazil. That's a very good guess. Right under them should be uh, Germany. Germany right under them. Oh. Yes. Yes. Germany mm-hmm. has won four times as well, most recently in 2014. So there you go. Yeah. And I think this is where I get lost, but I want to say, so it's Brazil, Germany, and then right under should be France. France. Okay. It is not France. Italy. It's one of those European. It is Italy. There you go. Italy. It yeah, Italy. Yeah. yeah. Italy has yeah. won four times. They won four times. The last time that they ended up winning was back in 06. So there you go. You're doing really good. Hmm. Doing much better than I, than I would. Hmm? Yeah, there you Except go. The least I think uh, Argentina has uh, doesn't have many, right? So yeah, Argentina. That's that's a really good guess because they have two as well. So there you go. Right, right. So and you're then, looking for a team, uh, a couple more teams actually here that just have like one or two. Okay, um, yeah. I think one of the ones very notable was probably uh, I think Netherlands. Are they? Netherlands has actually never won. Oh wow! So that's a really so good guess, though. Yeah, we have a, we have a, we have a Netherlands there. has made the World Cup final three times. But, so that's probably where you're getting it mm-hmm. from. Yeah, yeah. Belgium. 
Belgium has also not won. Wow, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. Spain. Wow, why did I forget it? Spain hey, is so there, there's another one. There's Spain. They won, they won one that was back in 2010. So that's a good one. So you're looking for, I believe, two more countries. Might as well hit hit them with uh, Portugal. Oh. Portugal, no. Not that Portugal. They've, they've actually never won. Yeah, right? You expect them to win one. That is crazy. Uh, let's see Brazil. I think who who made it there? Um trying to think hard. Um let's just go with England. There you go. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. one. They won in nineteen sixty six. That's their only one. They beat Germany that year. So there you go. You're only time. looking for you're looking for one more country. And honestly, you might not be able to get this because it's they won a really long time ago, but they won twice. They won twice. And it's not really uh, long, like like decades ago. <laughs> Colombia? No, that is a good. That's Close. a really good guess, actually. Though um, they won the first World Cup. This is the team you're looking for. The team that won the first World Cup. Oh man, I just saw this not too long ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's someone in South America, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not uh, Uruguay by any chance. Yeah, there you go. There, there you go. go. See, I knew nice. it was somewhere Dude, around there. You killed it. You killed it. <laughs> they won in 1930. They beat Argentina. That was the first ever World Cup. U.S. actually placed in third place that wow. year. And then they won in 1950. They beat Brazil to win that one. So there you go. Well done. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. straight off the dome. There you go. Yeah, that, dude, that was that was insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very well done. But all right, Danny. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thanks again for joining us. As always, we love your expertise. We love hearing your opinions, your knowledge, um, everything that you bring to the table. Um, any final words from you? Of course. No. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in. I mean, props to you guys going in week in, week out, putting that work. I haven't been able to stay as consistent as you guys do. So I give you guys props yet again. I'm telling you guys, uh, keep doing what you guys are doing, going further places too. And, uh, you know, like I always said, hopefully this is not my last time. I'm, I'm ready here. Give me a call. Shoot me. I'm, I'm a text away or whatever. And yeah, I'll absolutely. be back here. I love the show. <laughs> I love keep doing what you guys are doing. You guys are killing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone go follow Danny at JDA El Periodista on Twitter. Always yes, posting good content on there. That's if and Twitter then... is still, still going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right it before it, it, it releases. So. Exactly. Yeah. Twitter dies. Exactly. <laughs> and then also listen to the Sideways Show. New episode yep. coming out soon. Yep, yep, yep. I will be there. Uh-huh. I'm looking forward to it. And we're going to be talking some more World Cup. So uh-huh. if you want more content for the World Cup, the Sideways Show is the place to be. Thank you for uh-huh. that plug. Yeah. Join <laughs> it. Come uh-huh. here and see the controversies that are. Uh, not valid opinions are going to be shared there. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Um, All right. right. Mm -hmm. You can go ahead, uh, follow us on Spotify. Um, Just search down the line, go ahead and follow so you... Do it. Uh Uh-huh, get notified. And then um, I think it's download the episode, so then you automatically get known when we uh, post uh, on Spotify. I'm pretty sure that's how that works. Um, but yeah, that's going to do for us here on it down the line next week. We're going to talk, we're going to dive into some, M, uh, major league baseball free agency with the 
non-tender non-tender deadline just coming about 40 minutes ago at five yeah. o'clock um pacific time so we're going to dive more into the free agent some of the big names who uh have entered the free agent class i'm pretty sure dodgers outfielder cody bellinger um has been added to that list of mm. free agents so we'll talk about cody bellinger his teammate trey turner um, some of the game's biggest free agents um, on the market this winter next week. We'll maybe also dive into all MLB as well as the uh, finalists were announced at each position um, as we'll talk about fantasy football as well. We'll talk NFL as we enter week 11 of the NFL season. So that's going to do it for us here as the World Cup kicks off. We thank Danny for joining sure. us this week on it down the line for Cowbits. I'm Brevin Hunter. We hope you tune in next week.